Computer, initialize Holosuite. We are the Borg. Lower your shields and surrender your ships. We will add your biological and technological distinctiveness to our own. Your culture will adapt to service us. Resistance is futile. Welcome to a brand new episode of The Expanse, a Star Trek Enterprise podcast. Your Enterprise podcast, fellow Trekkies. I am your co-host, Kyle West, and I'm joined by regular co-host, Chris Hill. Hey, Chris. Hey, Kyle. How's it going? It's going really well, man. Going really well. I'm just going to let everyone in behind the scenes. We've had to do this introduction a million times Mm -hmm. because we're having all sorts of random internet delays and such, which we didn't have on the previous episode recorded. So, (laughs) you know, rather frustrating that it happens at uh, quite late in the night in the UK. Otherwise, otherwise, yeah, doing absolutely grand. And I'm excited because this is the last week of our Borg series. Uh, You know, the resistance is futile, everyone. And this week, we're actually talking about an Enterprise episode again. So the last two weeks, we talked about Q-Who and about Mm -hmm. the Borg, and about Star Trek First Contact. And now, the reason we did all that was to talk about this week's one. It was all built into this regeneration from Season 2 of Star Trek Enterprise. It was the last Borg appearance in Star Trek for about 17 years uh, when they uh, showed up. So this is a a big deal. Almost perfect, because whilst it kind of starts the Borg story, it kind of ends it as well. So if we'd never seen another Borg episode in Picard or anything, Regeneration kind of was a lovely little bow tie to the whole story, uh, as as we mm-hmm. previously knew it. So we're here to talk about that episode this week, and then we'll be moving on to a new topic. To subscribe to our show, to listen to it every single week, every Wednesday we drop, just go on your favourite podcast app and hit that subscribe button, or follow, or like, whatever it looks like, just press it. And you should have an alert every time a new episode drops. Please leave us a review uh, or just a rating on your podcast apps as well. That'd be absolutely great for us. They mean everything to us. We've chatted extensively on previous episodes about why reviews are so important. So if you do enjoy the show, please let us know with a five-star review. Please don't put anything else on. <laughs> Four-star, three-star, it's, it's not good for algorithms. So um, if you don't like it, just send us some hate on Twitter or Instagram. I don't care. You can also find us on those social media platforms. So stick around for the details at the end of this episode. So Chris, let's just get straight into it because I love this episode. Okay. A quick recap, and I'm, I'm going to do it super duper mega quick. It turns out that in Star Trek First Contact, the Enterprise E crew did not check that no debris dropped on the planet Earth. It turns out some did from a Borg sphere, and it included some Borg drones mm-hmm. who survived the impact. They were frozen for 100 years. They get found. They thaw out. They start assimilating. And then they want to make their way back to the Delta Quadrant or send a message, at least to the Borg, of the Delta Quadrant. And Enterprise NX-01 is sent to intercept, stop them. They struggle, but eventually they do. But oh no, we find out at the end that they did manage to successfully send a signal 
to the Delta Quadrant, but it's going to take around 200 years to get there. And as Captain Archer says, have they just delayed the invasion until the 24th century? Dun, dun, dun! And that's kind of how the episode ends, isn't it? Yeah. That's kind of it. If you were watching like a... <laughs> Doing a binge of the Borg stories, you'd you'd watch that and you go straight into the next one, uh, which would be Q Who. Uh, so um, it kind of works in a perfect little little bow on it all. So Chris, uh, last week you told us that you hadn't seen TNG really before you saw First Contact, right. so you had no existing TNG relationship with the Borg. But when you saw First Contact, had you seen Regeneration yet? No, because I was still I was still about a couple years from even watching. The, the first episode of Enterprise. Oh, right. So, yeah, you would have already seen them. So you've seen First Contacts. This was like yeah. a sequel, a proper sequel for you then. Right. To that episode. Okay, that's great. When you saw the Borg in it, then, I mean, what were your initial thoughts when you saw you were getting a Borg story? Excited? Confused? I was like, well, you know, it does it does make sense, especially since we don't see them checking for any debris or anything. So it would make sense that, that there would be Borg frozen on Earth if they didn't land in, you know, the ocean or whatever. Does it seem a little bit silly that the Enterprise crew, the flagship of the 24th century, I don't know what year this was probably based in, I don't know, 2374, say, or something like that, that they didn't check for that? You would think that'd be sort of standard procedure, but I think Picard was like, let's just get the hell out of here. I've had my fill with these assholes. Let's go. (laughs) You could make some arguments maybe and say that Enterprise was so damaged that sensors weren't working. Yeah. uh, In some way to detect that. It could have gone horribly wrong for them, though. Imagine that ship had only crashed into just a populated place. Yeah. It could have gone hor- horribly wrong. I did actually ask people on the Star Trek Enterprise Fans Facebook group, which is a great group, guys. Mm-hmm. So if you're on Facebook, please join it. And I said to them, you know, what did you all think when it, when you first found out the Borg were going to be on Enterprise? And what did you think of the, of the episode as a whole? So I'm going to read some comments out for you. Vicky Hackett said, I loved it. I loved how it tied into First Contact without messing up the canon by them finding out who the Borg were. Chris Davis says, I liked how it created a completed time loop. It left me wondering if Q introducing the Enterprise D to the Borg began the loop or if Q knowingly sent them to complete it. So we're going to talk about that a bit later because that's a, mm-hmm. a question I've been sort of asking myself the last couple of weeks knowing that we will come into this episode to discuss. And yeah, we'll chat about that towards the end of this podcast. Bill Keck says the Borg should not be in any Star Trek series before TNG. Oof. Yeah. Bill also said that the reason for this is that the Borg need to use time travel to reach the Alpha Quadrant and the Sol system. So don't think they didn't use time travel to get there. They need to use time travel to get back to where their plan was to prevent right. first contact but they just use it as we find out later they just have like transwarp conduits and things to get to the alpha quadrant monique Owistaff, i hope i pronounced your name there correctly uh, monique uh, they took a huge risk and they got away with it big cheesy grin so <laughs> general consensus is that amongst enterprise fans that this was a good episode yeah of enterprise and that it didn't ruin any continuity i mean even even the comment about saying there shouldn't be any borg in trek that takes place before tng didn't really provide reasons to why right if we can find the right story then why can't we exactly and i i think this was about the right story to do it if since you wanted to use the borg in this era might as well tie it back into first contact absolutely it's the sequel slash follow-up to first contact that we didn't know we needed I would love to know the origins of this story. Who pitched it originally in the writer's room? You know, where did it come from? Because 
I just think when you finally watch the episode and you see the story, you think, oh my God, that was so obvious. Mm-hmm. Why didn't we get this sooner? Why didn't this happen in the timeline sooner and we just find out about it later or something? It's just such an obvious one to, to explore. I mean, what do you think about the first act? The whole first act of this episode, I, I haven't got the minutes to hand, but the first quarter of the episode does not feature the Enterprise no. crew. It's the scientists who are doing the research and looking at these two drones that they've that they're defrosting. They get assimilated, then we see Admiral Forrest. How do you find that? It's the first time we've seen that in Enterprise. I don't think we've even had that since on the show. So, how did you feel about that sort of different change in storytelling? I thought it was it was interesting how they decided to do it. Definitely, you know, gave us a sense that they did want to do stuff on Earth. And this might have been, you know, one of those things that they wanted to do there in the first first season. They just had to push mm. it to the second. It added a bit of interest to the story. At first, you're thinking, wow, we haven't seen the crew yet. But then you forget all about it. And then when you do yeah. suddenly cut to the Enterprise and Archer's been briefed on this, you're a bit like, oh, yeah, God, I forgot about these guys. You know, because he kind of enthralled in what's going on. Yeah. So I still am baffled that the Enterprise E missed this debris because there was enough of it that one of the scientists could figure out that the ship was probably a, a perfect sphere. Yeah. You know, a substantial amount. And even looking at it visually, a substantial amount crashed. And it wasn't even, like, for a hundred years, there should have been covered up more, no? It looked like it had just been there overnight. Some of the stuff, you know, because there, there are winds, you know, up there in the Arctic Circle, so kind of like a shifting sand in the in the middle of the desert where things can get buried and unburied. Mm. Okay, you give me my science lesson, so <laughs> I'll go with that head cannon. Once we did get to the Enterprise, though, I mean, what did mm-hmm. you think of the story as a whole? There's no setup for it on the Enterprise. It was like, hey, this is the crew. Now they've just been tasked with having to chase down this ship uh, with these cyborgs on it. This definitely had to be, you know, you have to be an Enterprise fan to, to go in and watching, I would say. Or at least, you know, be familiar enough with, with who the characters are. I think you're right on that, because thinking on it, after you saying that, they didn't really have any downtime in this episode. It was no. all... It was all action. The teasers were often just used for downtime and getting to know mm-hmm. the characters, but yeah, not here at all. It was just straight into it. And I think you're right. You have to really have a understanding of who everyone is to enjoy this. Even even at Archer's journey on this episode, you need to really understand how much Archer hates having to kill and stuff to understand why he's so emotional with some decisions he makes in this episode. Now, Archer twigs quite quickly that something is familiar to him mm-hmm. about these cybernetic life forms that they've got pictures of and he looks into it from something that he remembers from when he was younger and he finds a speech that Zephram Cochran delivered decades before where he discussed first contact and Mm -hmm. how cybernetic creatures from the the future came to try and enslave mankind and they were stopped by other time-traveling humans. As DePaul says, you know, he was very well known for his exaggerated stories and for Mm -hmm. being intoxicated. I guess what I'd say to you is, firstly, that version of Zephyr Cochran that they know about, the drinker, Mm -hmm. that version did not survive to the 24th century. No, it didn't even survive to the uh, 23rd century. It changes within that hundred years from what we've seen on Enterprise to what we see by the time of Discovery and TOS. And that perception of Zephram Cochran has completely changed. Do we think that's because we're still really close to when Zephram Cochran existed? Yeah. He lived long enough to work with Henry Archer. Mm-hmm. I believe Archer even mentions in Daedalus knowing Zephram Cochran himself. So Cochran must have lived for quite a long time. I'm just wondering, how do we think that change happened? What, what do we think caused it? That perception of Zephyr Cochran. 
I wouldn't be surprised if it was Archer himself that was trying to that tried to you know <laughs> put a little bit more legitimacy behind his one of his idols. I love random throwbacks to other shows and films. Any Easter eggs, mm-hmm. and so Archer talking about how Zeph and Cochran later did discuss the events of First Contact. For me, I live for those kind of references because it makes me think, oh, First Contact mattered. In Zeph and Cochran's life, First Contact was a big incident for him because we never hear about First Contact again from the TNG crew. We get a reference to First Contact from Seven of Nine Mm -hmm. on Voyagers when she just mentions that the Borg were there at First Contact. And I think it's it's as a joke, really. And it's hilarious, really. If you've seen the film and then you see that, it's just really funny. But it's nice to know that for Cochrane, this didn't just happen and go away. This is a thing that he still felt a need to talk about later on. Now, Archer says that Cochrane did actually retract this story. Yes. Later. Do you have any theories as to why? Because I have a theory which connects to something I said two weeks ago. I don't remember exactly where you were going with your theory there, but I don't have one on my own, so we'll let you go ahead. Okay, my theory, if you remember, I said that maybe one of the reasons why Starfleet didn't seem to know anything about the Borg in the 24th century, given the fact they clearly had photos of them, and I guess maybe some tech still as well from the 22nd century, I suspected it was because Section 31 had tried to just clean up any evidence Because realistically, I mean, is it not a pretty terrifying thought for people to imagine there's this really scary species who have been involved with us for centuries, you know, behind the scenes? They they, they were here 100 years ago. Why? Oh, they showed up again now and did this and sent a message. Now maybe they're going to come and invade. You're going to want to shut that stuff up. And we know there was other instances where, like, the Hansons met them in the 24th century before the Enterprise did. Yeah, so I wonder, did Zephram Cochrane retract his story just as part of a cleanup operation that Section 31, who we know existed before the debut of, of the Enterprise TV show. So do we think Section 31 could have asked Zephram Cochrane to stop talking about that story? Maybe it wasn't so much that they asked him to, is that they put out a statement under his name. Because that would seem to be the Section 31 thing to do. Yeah, because I just think that you would not want that out there. Even at that point, they wouldn't have known a whole lot about the Borg anyway. I just think, that sounds like a threat to us. We don't want to start panicking people. Yeah. And that just seems like Section 31's sort of MO to me. So that's my my head canon as to why Cochrane might have stopped talking about it. Now, one thing that this does sort of set up with Archer is, throughout the whole episode, is it really feels for maybe the first time that Archer is... Archer's feeling the weight of Earth yeah. and its protection on his shoulders. He's connected the dots with yeah. Zephram Cochran and this story about wanting to enslave mankind. And and if we have to assume from later knowing that Archer did know Zephram Cochran and his dad worked with him and things, Archer would have been a pretty good judge of character, probably. Yeah. So he believes Zephram Cochran. So after this, you can just see it plain on him that if he makes any mistake here, it could be the end of his, his entire species whether that's in 200 years or one year, don't matter. Did you feel that weight on, on Archer? And was there any particular moments you thought where you could see that on him or, or feel it? You could definitely see it after he does, you know, tell Depole that he's made the connection. But you can also kind of see his wheels turning there as soon as they get that briefing from Admiral Forrest about what's gone on and what they need to do. It was like a teaser for how he was going to be during the Zindi storyline and you could just see it particularly when he had to eject the two aliens who'd been assimilated into space but i thought that was a great scene on him and, and even to paul picked up on it and was like you know you had no choice you did the right thing yeah he knows he did the right thing but it just at that point goes against archer's 
whole belief to not just to just kill people like that, I guess, as he would have seen it right. in cold blood, but to give up on someone and to not yeah. try and help them. It was that, no, they're doing too much damage to us. We need to get them off this ship right now. I thought it was good. And I could feel at the end, his final scene with Paul, where he talks about how they just delayed the, the invasion. Yeah, you kind of feel like Archer sees it as a as a failure. And Archer believes that they failed because now there might be something going on in 200 years that none of them are going to be alive for and other people might pay the price. And I don't think they did fail. They didn't even know what they were dealing with. They stopped the ship. Yeah, they did the absolute best they could. And they did it quick as well. You know, this all happened very fast, all of this. Was this a surprising Reed episode for you as well, Malcolm Reed? Yeah. He had quite a lot to do in this, and I always forget that. Yeah, because when I was thinking of this, I was thinking, you know, okay, yeah, it's about the Borg. Archer and Depole are going to be talking about it. Archer's going to have decisions to make. Fox is involved, because I, I remember that from, yeah. from previous rewatches, but I forgot about the Reed bits. I loved when he was with Phlox in the armory and mm-hmm. he's trying to sort of suss out where weapons may be on the Borg. And he's pretty switched on as to where he thinks there could be weapons built into the Borg's sort of gear. Which, in a way, he's not wrong. No, he's not. And the sequence where he's chasing with security two of the Borg, he saves a crewman from, what, literally an inch or two away from assimilation. Yeah. When the Borg the Borg drone is a, has its uh, assimilation tubes, whatever they're called, about to uh, go into a guy's neck and he stops them. Yeah. Something that almost happens to Picard in First Contact, by the way, which oh, yeah. we didn't discuss in that episode, but, you know, you have to look close, but there's a moment where Picard has l- literally got the tubes an inch or two away from his, his neck you know, when Data saves him. But yeah, I loved all the stuff with Reed, you know, the stuff on the Borg ship with him as well, I thought, thought was very well done. I'm a big Reed fan, as we've established before, so anytime, particularly pre-season three, where he had a bigger role was, was great for me as a fan. Now, you mentioned Phlox. Mm-hmm. You mentioned his assimilation. Yes. Okay, so what the bleep was this? Did I miss dialogue constantly for 17 years? Why was Phlox's assimilation taking so long? Because of the uh, Denoblian immunosystem, or immune system. Oh, come on. That's that's come the on. reason that that's the that's the reason he gave. It just seems silly. It just seems to to try and provide a reason for them to know a signal got sent. And that's how they find out about it, is Phlox mm-hmm. was connected to the collective for a short time. If anyone wants to pick apart anything about this episode, which does create some issues with later continuity, it is the Phlox stuff. Mm-hmm. The cures he was putting together to try and eliminate the nanites and all those things. Like, that is the problematic stuff. But again, you can go down the whole cover-up, classified yeah. route for that information. So... You know, Starfleet officers were getting assimilated long before Starfleet or Section 31 may have opened up the fact that actually we we know about this and we've been studying it. So I add that to the pile of Section 31 things, which for me as well works with Shelby in Best of Both Worlds because she was Mm -hmm. meant to be a a Borg expert, but we'd only seen the Borg once on the entire show. So what was she to be an expert of? So the idea actually that a lot of this data was there about them and that's how she became an expert. She had a friend friend under Noblia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I'm sure Flox went ahead and made copies of whatever he put into the Enterprise's logs. Exactly. And also just the assimilation of the aliens as well was taken longer. Probably because the tendrils there might have been still a little frozen or affected by the Arctic Circle. That's probably... I did wonder that, but then I was like, well, they can keep making this ship two to three times faster, four times faster, but they can't assimilate properly yet. doesn't make any sense to me. So I do question that side of it. It does weaken the assimilation process. 
for me, really. I, I, that's frustrating. I would expect that from a new set of creative people running the show. A Discovery or Picard when they were covering the Borg. You know, new people who weren't around back then who may want to change things a little bit to suit them. But Brandon Braga, he was on the show. He wrote First Contact. He, he, he wrote loads of Borg stories, probably, in Voyager, or at least greenlit most of them. How does that super slow assimilation get into an episode on this show? I just don't... Am I being overly sensitive, Chris? Well, I'm going to say probably not as overly sensitive as the art department, for because when they heard about this, they were like, the Borg, no! <laughs> yeah, so they had the same look as they had in First Contact, or the TV kind of version. Didn't change anything up, really. Um, I've always, like I've said previously, I love that look on them. I thought it was a bit weird, though. There's two aliens that got assimilated. Their clothes appear to have... Like a bit of their clothes that was clothing that was loose appeared to have Borg flesh and implants coming out of it. Do you see? Do you notice that? No, I didn't. I just thought it was part of the uniform. First time I've ever noticed it was on this last viewing, and I can't make sense of it. <laughs> I've got to be seeing it wrong, or there's got to be some reason for it. Because I don't understand how anyone would do the costume and think that that would make sense. It doesn't make any sense. It's not attached to them. So how how would it have flesh on the outside of it and stuff? I don't know. So the music in this episode. Mm-hmm. We've chatted music before, actually. I can't remember if I mentioned Regeneration or not, but I mean, I've always been a fan of how serious and to the point this episode felt. And even the music has that sort of suspense. Uh, yeah, it's got aura of suspense to it and seriousness. And mm-hmm. yeah, it just hits home the serious nature of what, what they're doing and going through. I mean, did the music stand out to you, Chris? I know I know you, you know, you do listen out for soundtracks and things. It did a little bit in certain spots, but it didn't over overpower it in my estimation. Gave you enough to notice it. I'm a big fan of my uh, my music and TV shows right now. I'm, I'm loving it. So uh, I always notice it. Regeneration, Horizon, these are the voyages. Just some of the episodes that stick out for me. for Because I could see the music was trying to like keep the tempo quick yeah. throughout. So I think that added to everything for me. The final battle on the ship when Archer and Reed are on the alien ship. Yeah. I'm curious as to how Malcolm Reed with his phase pistol manages to get off more shots before they adapt than Worf in the 24th century ones. Because Worf says on the ship, and bear in mind he's the same drone, same tech. Mm-hmm. Worf says, what, they could get maybe get off 12 shots or so, he said, or maybe less? Uh, I think original, like in the series, yes, but I think in first contact, it was like two, maybe three. Yeah, so... Not much, but they, on Enterprise, they got off a lot of shots Yeah, without having to worry. Bearing in mind how quickly they adapted on the Enterprise earlier in the episode um, before Reed made his changes. That bit jumps out at me, Chris, when I watch it, because, I, I mean, I, I'm forgiven of everything on TV shows, but because yeah. I'm used to the Borg and then adapting, there's a little bit of, uh, like, why haven't they adapted yet? Why, you know, why are yeah. they still able to... Shoot him dead, I don't know. I mean, again, am I, am I just being overly sensitive? I remember he was made some modifications to the phase pistol. And before that, you know, Fox had mentioned that the nanites had, you know, were susceptible to Omicron particles. So I'm wondering if that modification might have included the Omicron particle. See, the science stuff always just flies over my head, man. <laughs> I, would love to, I would love to understand it, but I'm just like... Phew. No chance. I don't watch my track for that stuff, really. But I get that it's in there. And if they try to make it sound believable, that's cool for me. Yeah. Are we in doubt at all that Archer had any choice other than to destroy the vessel? 
Did he have to? Yeah, he had to. Well, once you realize that it's going to come back and then, you know, continue to try to kick your ass, you've got to kick its ass. Hmm. And I think because, you know, early in the episode, when T'Pol says you're probably going to have to kill them, it's as if it had never crossed his mind at that point that yeah. this needed to end that way. So I think it really sucked for Archer that it did end that way. And maybe Archer season three or four would have felt a bit different about that. But I certainly felt that season two Archer would really rue the fact that he didn't really have much choice. And I think he yeah. made the right decision because look at the t- you know, the warp speed changes they made and everything yeah. in such a short space of time. Um, so yeah, I think he made the right decision. I agree with you. I guess the delaying of the, the invasions of the 24th century and that whole loop that I was chatting earlier with our mm-hmm. Facebook comments. I mean, how do you make sense of now? Because some people, even now, all these years later, have headcanoned that First Contact created a new universe that Enterprise takes place in and some have tried to say Discovery before Discovery tied itself into TOS and TNG so much yeah. in the last uh, this past season but you know people have gone with that idea and this because that's the only way you can explain Enterprise looking the way it looks and let's forget that rubbish like how do you think the timeline works with it how did the Borg actually find out about Earth you know what ha- what actually happened first well, this is definitely one of those wibbly wobbly timey wimey situations. I think that actually first contact is the start is actually the starting point for the Borg, and Q was letting Picard and them know because he knew what was going to happen, and he was wanting to make sure that they were prepared. Although in production wise, Q who comes first, I think that it's all cause and effect. It's all just one loop. You don't get regeneration without first contact. You don't get first contact without Q-Who, but you don't get Q-Who without regeneration. And you don't get the Hansons, you know, Seven and Nine's parents, without regeneration, without first contact. So I don't think regeneration made any issues to the continuity. I don't think it created a, a new universe at that point. Or I think actually, sorry, I say regeneration, first contact, sorry. I don't think first contact yeah. created a new universe or timeline. I think first contact always happened. Because people have to not think of time in a linear fashion. Yeah. Stuff doesn't necessarily happen in the order that it's released. You have to go with the idea that Riker and LaForge were always on the, the first warp vessel that Zephyrin Cochran had. You have to believe that the Enterprise E was always present fighting mm-hmm. the Borg when so they didn't that didn't change anything. And I think people just get it in their head that they think that all that stuff changed something. But what if that's how it always was? Yeah. Nobody stops to think about the most obvious answer. And even if originally, I guess one, there must have been one timeline where they would have gone back and changed it. That wasn't the Trek universe timeline. In the Trek universe timeline, first contact always happened. I don't think there's any other way to yeah. take it. Any other way of doing it is is just kind of trying to make it more complicated for the sake of, of fitting it into your own agenda. Right. And not really looking at the facts as they are presented to you on screen i mean do you think regeneration therefore sets up all the later stuff quite well with the borg definitely because we get we get to see how how they are a little bit and you know if it wasn't for section 31 we would have had this information all the way along might have been less deaths in starfleet if they'd had all the information but then again kind of going back with our our timey-wimey thing had they known about all this maybe picard doesn't get assimilated therefore we don't you know, it kind of might might have thrown, thrown a wrench in that and maybe cues a little bit behind Section 31. Yeah. See, you can't make sense of 
of time travel. Because when you try to make real sense of it, it just raises even more questions and then makes you want to just throw yourself through a, a window or something. Yeah. Just to get away from it. Because, yeah, I have to go with the idea of this indefinite loop because for me that makes sense. And I'm aware as, as well that Trek, like all shows, not just Trek, follows different like time travel rules depending on the story. So you know, there's all different ways of... Um, that you can affect time and, and all these things. but And Trek does change that from time to time. But I think the cause and effect here is quite real. The only time that they, they successfully kind of reset everything, you know, to where literally it appears like nothing happened, is in Tomorrow is Yesterday in the original series, where they basically place the two guys that they beamed onto the ship at, at the exact same point where they were taken before, you know, they got, got introduced to everything. That's like the only time. I can't wait to watch that one. It's on my Her First Track watch list. I've not seen that episode in genuinely over a decade. This, for me, was the first time the Borg had been scary again on TV mm. since Raven and Scorpion. Voyager, for three and a half years or so, made the Borg feel less scary to me and a bit more, I guess, structure to them and yeah. too much identity to them. I wouldn't say I didn't enjoy, but it's not the Borg that I loved from First Contact, so... Mm-hmm. Uh, this was like the first time where I was worried about the Borg and what they could do. Yeah, and... especially Flocks. Yeah, and the other way Flocks reacts to his assimilation, and it felt genuine. Like in Voyager, which was the last time we'd seen the Borg before this, they were so used to the Borg. Yeah, they were a little worried, and the Borg could do something yeah. to scare them, to, to, to get them in. But generally, they thought, we've got the Borg's number, we're in control. So it was nice to see a set of characters who didn't feel that way and did not know what to make of them and the fact they were improving their ship their ship every time they bumped into it and things like that was just baffling to them so i think that they were reintroduced very well in this show i mean did you feel that i mean i know you watched enterprise before voyager and you haven't watched all of voyager so but have you got a sense that the borg were softened during the run of voyager that's generally what i what i get the feeling of especially since you know i haven't, I haven't seen all of it yet any favorite parts in this episode, Chris? I definitely enjoyed how Hoshi, you know, was the one that brought everything for Flox's animals because it was getting the feeding time for him. Mm. And, you know, even made sure that, that he had food, you know, just in case. But he's like, no, if if my metabolism speeds up, these guys are these little nanites are going to go all the way through. We don't want that. Seeing the, the the Tarkalians that are that are famous for their tea, that was nice nice to see. <laughs> and it was also nice to see, you know, people that that were not necessarily or that were part of Starfleet, but not necessarily in Starfleet, if you will. Sort of like you know the the, the civilian helpers and stuff like that. With with the they're on the Arctic base. It made the world seem bigger, didn't it? Mm-hmm. And made Starfleet just seem seem bigger. So I got the idea they worked for Starfleet, or well, at first I thought they were with. It's like a working relationship with Starfleet. But then I got the impression that they were kind of Starfleet as it went on in some way. I don't know. What what do you think the relationship was there? I think it was one of those where they worked with Starfleet, but not necessarily were a part of Starfleet. It's sort of like a contractor. Yeah, yeah, maybe you're right on that one. If you enjoy listening to The Expanse, a Star Trek Enterprise podcast, every week, then please consider supporting our show by becoming a patron. Visit our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash nx01podcast. There you can view our subscription tiers. Some of the benefits of becoming a patron include early access to our episodes, 
bonus episodes, and so much more. Your support helps us continue to maintain and exceed the high level of quality that you have come to expect from this show. To all of our existing patrons, we appreciate you and your generosity so much. And to those of you considering joining us, we would be so thankful to welcome you into our group of patrons. Again, visit patreon.com slash annex01podcast for more details. You will also be able to find the website link in the details of this podcast episode. Final thoughts on regeneration and any other comments you might want to add on it. Definitely one I would, I would consider a hidden gem since, you know, nobody really talks about it. And if they do, it's usually just be like, oh, yeah, I don't know why Enterprise would do a Borg story since, you know, Borg are more of a 24th century <laughs> thing. Yeah. I definitely like that it has inspired a character on, on my timelines game with, with the, the nanoprobe flocks that you can get actually just for, for stuff that you earn in the game. Is it a good one to have? I don't understand how it all works, really. They've got him as in uh, what they call the Honor Hall, and he's a five-star character, and usually if they're a five-star character in the Honor Hall, they have a good uh, proficiency ratings, which is used in, in sort of the gauntlet, which is the, the game's version of PvP. So for some people listening to this, that would have made sense to them. <laughs> <laughs> for me, at this time of night, it certainly doesn't make any sense to me. Here's a question for you, then, talking about sort of other track. And we've had a lot of conversations about the Borg over the last couple of weeks. Now that Discovery takes place in the 32nd century, would you like to see them encounter the Borg? Do you think the writers can resist the urge? I think resistance is futile and we'll definitely get a Borg episode of Discovery at some point. Yeah, I think that they'll hold off a little bit. But I do think it's an itch they're going to have to scratch mm-hmm. at some point. Unless Picard Season 2 goes in on the Borg. You know, seven nines around. So if if they heavily do stuff with the Borg on there, I could appreciate that Alex Kurtzman might want Discovery to stay away from it. But don't you want to show the Borg in that time? Because the fact that they have not come and destroyed Earth suggests that maybe they took a really big hit from what Janeway did. I think we have to see them in the Mm -hmm. future. I don't know if we need a Borg episode. I trust that the Discovery writers would be able to come up with something quite original. But maybe if it's a case of with Discovery being able to throw around... To carry out a mission, they need a certain piece of technology or something that they can get Discovery to use the spore drive to jump to Borg space in the Delta Quadrant, do their little bit of get what they need for five minutes of the episode, see some drones, and then get back out, you know, and, and they're gone. So we've seen the Borg. Burnham has finally encountered the Borg. For me, the Borg aren't overplayed, see. I understand people's complaints. I know you haven't seen it all yet, but you know people think Voyager overdid them, which is why there was a lot of pushback on Enterprise doing a Borg episode. I remember at the time, everyone thought it was a joke. No one believed it, that <laughs> we were actually getting a, a Borg episode of Enterprise. But I don't think the Borg were overplayed. Okay, Voyager used them a lot, but before they showed up in Picard, it had been 17 years since they'd, they'd been in Star Trek. That is a very long time. You know, I don't think we've ever gone that long without seeing a main villain from Trek. I can't think, because even the Romulans were showing up in some of the TOS films. Romulans actually didn't show up in films until actually Nemesis. Really? There was a Romulan in... Yeah, we did see we did see Romulans, but in 5 and 6, but... Not the, not the Empire, like, yeah. Yeah, not necessarily, you know, with, with their ships and stuff. I'd love to see more of the Borg. And a scary Borg. I want to see... I know Picard gave us the XBs. Yeah. But we didn't get to see proper Borg. I, I want to see what this whole production team they have... Can do with Borg makeup, yeah. Yeah, just imagine the the assimilation 
sequence of the makeup, like you said, because a lot of that would probably just be completely CGI and they would go all out for it. And then, yeah, just what the actual makeup would look like. In the end, we've seen a 29th century Borg drone on Voyager. I don't know if you've seen that one yet. No. I vaguely remember it. I I will not have watched that for legit for 20 years. So we've seen one like that, but that was caused by the Doctor's gear. So I would love to just see them encounter it. I'd love to just see the Discovery crew even hearing about them and seeing them because I don't think they've seen anything like it. Unless the sphere data has... The sphere data probably knows the origins of the Borg. Yeah. Because it goes back thousands of years, isn't it? And we know that allegedly the Borg have existed for millennia from some comments. Wow, I hadn't thought about that. Now watch how the origin of the Borg is exactly how David Mack put it in in the Destiny trilogy. (laughs) Which I've never read. That hands up confession. I've not read the Destiny trilogy. It does feature Captain Erica Hernandez. Oh, does it? Yes, yeah, so we might have to throw it on the list and, and see if David will jump on and talk about it. Okay, so we both agreed we'd like to see the Borg on it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's it for us about the Borg, really. Yeah. We knew we weren't going to have them to talk about again on on Enterprise, so we wanted to make a big thing out of it. I think we've had three great conversations. Mm-hmm. I loved the chat between both of us and Rhea two weeks ago. I thought, I thought that was great as well. So, I mean, how have you enjoyed this sort of little dive into some of the sort of classic Borg stories. Definitely, you know, kind of took me back a little bit to when I first started, especially watching, you know, First Contact again with that. You know, re-watching Q-Who definitely reminded me of when I watched that one for the first time properly, so. And then, you know, finishing up here with Regeneration, same thing. Yeah, I've uh, I've loved it. I've seen Best of Both Worlds so many times that it was good to go to Q-Who, you know, and uh, I've not seen that one for a very long time, so that was great, and I... Always love a good reason to watch First Contact. Been a great little journey for me. I hope everyone listening to this has enjoyed our Borg discussions. If you've missed the other two, just go back, find us on your podcast app, and the previous two episodes to this were our Borg series. You can jump to the the first one, episode twenty four, listen to twenty five, and then listen to this one. Number twenty six. That means this is the half year mark for us. Since there's fifty two weeks in a year. It's our six month anniversary. Wow. That's flown by. The Expanse, a Star Trek Enterprise podcast, is produced and hosted by myself, Chris Hill, and Kyle West, and is a part of the Holosuite Media Podcast Network. To keep up to date with all the news and updates from The Expanse, be sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at NX01Podcast. You can find me on Twitter at TheChrisHill, and Kyle on Twitter at KyleThomasWest. To join the Holosuite Media Community Discussion Group, simply type the Nexus into the Facebook search bar, and we'll see you there. Thanks for listening, and until next time, keep your shirts on. This show is brought to you by Holosuite Media. Computer, list other available Holosuite Media programs. Loading Holosuite Preview Program 4, Her First Trek, a Star Trek preview podcast. When Data gets there, she's scantily clad. I mean, that bit of clothing goes low. She must have had a wax job just before. Oh, yeah. It goes about as low as any item of clothing could go without showing your vagina. Mm. Don't you think? Would you wear anything that low? Is that even a real question? Of course I wouldn't wear anything that low.
I was just wondering because I was going to get you cosplay. I pull all of my stuff up to my belly button. <laughs> no one wants to see that. My uterus would be hanging out. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> right, I'll scratch that off the list then. Back to the oh, Princess Leia you. fantasy. Loading Holosuite Preview Program 4, The Vedic Assembly, a Deep Space Nine podcast. Uh, because of the expanse. Like, if, mm-hmm. you were, if you were trying to portray a, a species like that in Star Trek, you were like, oh, they're just doing the belters from the expanse. Yes, well, and actually, they did it better in The Expanse than they did in Star Trek. Because they actually hired really, really lanky tall people to play them. Mm-hmm. They can't do, practically, what the Belters would really look like according to the books, but they hmm. did as close as they possibly could, and yeah. it still works for me. And it's a much more interesting origin and story, and they just did everything better. Loading Holosuite Preview Program 4, Random Trek Review, a Star Trek review podcast. Who knows? I mean, what's the worst that happens? They all have a terrible experience and you you learn that, okay, maybe there's nothing we can really do to to get these people to work better. And, you know, you go from there. Or aliens shear off the side of the Delta Flyer and they all die a horrible death in space. I mean, that could happen too. <laughs> Yeah, that's also possible, but then I guess, I mean, you'd have a whole new problem, but that would solve the problem of three underperforming crew members. Computer, deactivate Holosuite.